Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Jesse Case. I'm Andy Wood. Oh, you <laughs> caught you by surprise there, Andy. It took a second yeah. to work it out. <laughs> well, that, was, that was kind of a Paul McCartney sort of bad Paul McCartney impression. I'm Andy Wood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that we we have a currently Vegas-based New York comedian, magician, writer, but, but currently in a, in a Cirque du Soleil show. First, I think it's the first like stand up in a Cirque du Soleil show, right? It's Harrison Greenbaum. Hello, how's it going, everybody? Yes, that that is that is correct. The, that, the show is called Mad Apple, so it's a New York themed Cirque du Soleil show at New York, New York, a New York themed hotel, and I uh, I'm the actual New Yorker in the show. So they, I, I think they're obligated to have at least one Jew in a show about New York, and I <laughs> was happy to volunteer. Um, I'm the human bagel, and uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's been wild. Yeah, they've never, they've had clowns, they've had comedy, um, but they never had stand up comedy. So I'm the first stand up comic in a Cirque du Soleil show and the first magician they've enjoyed working with. <laughs> That's wow. awesome. How does stand up comedy fit into a Cirque du Soleil show? Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's the, that's the million dollar question. Um, no, yes. it's, it's the, the thing that's been cool is there's always been clowns and comedy in Cirque, so there's always uh, room for that. And because it's a New York theme show, it made more sense, I think, to have a stand up comic than uh, a traditional clown. Um, and it, it works really, really well. I mean, the, it's it's cool because it's Cirque du Soleil, so I come up through an elevator. Um, there's Ooh. you know, it's a giant theater, and so that all that kind of stuff is really, really fun, and it gives you a lot to work with, also. Yeah, um, there's so many jokes you can make about being in a circus, but I would imagine that's like one of those things where like you cannot ignore the light, or like some guy falls off a trapeze or something, like <laughs> stakes are high, right? Like it's like it's got to be like an extremely timed, I guess that's what I meant, is just how to synchronize all of that. Yeah, I mean, um, there's definitely help for that. Like, I have a clock and and, and lights and stuff. Um, but they, they've been really good about basically sort of saying, this is your chunk of time, just be funny. Um, it's cool. uncensored. We're an adults-only Cirque du Soleil show, um, which is crazy that our show is considered the least safe for kids, but one of our other ones is about Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that one's for children of all ages, the way he would have wanted. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. But it's... But yeah, people are warned when they come in, you know, 16 and over. So I, I can be, you know, full, full uncensored New York comedy, which has been really, really exciting. What's it like hanging with the circus performers in the downtime or after parties or whatever? I've never felt fatter or uglier in my life. <laughs> These are perfect specimens. And then, you know, they invite you to a pool party and you're like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> you each have 10 abs a person and now I like I, yeah so that, that is I don't think I'm I, how, I don't I, how would I you like I'm, to enter the pool uh, Harrison because we're, we're gonna flip over each other uh we're gonna we're gonna start off on each other's shoulders and then dive in do you want to just are you just gonna that. lower yourself in the steps okay fine they, that actually happened uh the first <laughs> pool party I went to for this show they had put like a slack line across the pool so people were flipping Jeez. I was like give me a floaty I'm just gonna stay, <laughs> stay very still <laughs> I could see it going that way, or I could see it also being like, uh, "This is my downtime. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get a flip for free, kid." <laughs> well, the, uh, the kid. I, it's funny you mentioned kid because a lot of these people are, you know, seventh generation circus performers. So their oh. their kids are, you know, three or four, and they can do way more acrobatics than I can. Wow. <laughs> so a their lot kids of are still, also flipping. Are they? Uh, is this? Is there still a, like a lot of French Canadianness to Cirque, or is that was that just it, that's where it started, right? 
Yeah, so the company is French Canadian. There's definitely that. There, there are people in our cast who are for sure French or French Canadian. Uh, but it's super international. We have uh, people from China, uh, Ukraine, and Russia. We had. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, but everybody got along. Um, Hungary, um, Ethiopia. It's it's really really international. Sometimes it's funny because like. I'll say something that I just I forget is very American. I'm like, oh, we should do s'mores tonight, and they're like, what are what are these s'mores you you, you describe? <laughs> so we had a s'mores night because our, yeah. our cast had never had s'mores before. Some of them, so we had a s'mores night at my house. What, what a wholesome <laughs> example of very American. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'll it's say not, something very American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you bring your gun over, and then we make s'mores. Yeah, we'll make make right. a, a gun s'mores. Um. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, New York, New York, it's great casino. It's a little expensive for me, so I always just uh, go to Newark, Newark. Right. right. The New Jer- there is no New Jersey, New Jersey, and I think that's for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> that's the general vibe of all casinos 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Reno one time and stayed at Vermont, Vermont. It was just <laughs> so boring. It was just like, it's the lamest. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if my... I'd be far too insecure to hang out with Cirque performers. So good on you. Um, <laughs> they are like, it's the most in shape you can be. And, oh, and uh, they train every day. Yeah. It's mind blowing. It's mine. And they're always just like sitting on each other in weird positions. Like three of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what the fuck? Exactly. You do? Like how do you even uh, on that couch? It's, it's the weirdest guy has his arms outstretched. There's a woman sitting on each. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of well, that's more magic, stashes. isn't it? That's that's more. And we have we have a thing called PMED. So basically, there's like a physical therapist on on staff to make sure everybody is sort of healthy and and uh, doing everything safely. Uh, and it's funny because like I think day one or day two of our our opening performances, a mirror in my dressing room broke, and I went to pick up the glass, and I got a glass shard in my finger, like a little tiny one, but it hurt. So I had to go to PMED and everybody else is an acrobat with actual problems. I'm like, hey, I'm the comedian. I need you to look at my thingy. <laughs> I, have a, I have, I believe, what they call an ouchie. I think it's a, yeah, I have a, yeah, an ouchie here. If you could, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. a, Everyone, Harrison's got a boo-boo. Stop the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. That guy's 100 feet in the air and that guy's flipping on the other guy. But if you could just take this little tiny thing out with tweezers, that would be awesome. <laughs> have there been any uh, close calls in any way with like the performer the actual circus performers on stage you know it's interesting we have there they they teach you all this like circ stuff so one of the things is that if you basically make an x across your chest that's a, a show stop um and if you th- anybody throws that they stop the show uh immediately um and that's something that a cast member can do if they think somebody is hurt or somebody might get hurt something like that so we have all these sort of things built in place although it looks like the wakanda forever so i'm <laughs> i think we're all constantly nervous that somebody makes a black panther joke and the whole show is immediately immediately called immediately stops if it um, does stop do they throw you out and just go like stretch stretch just give us uh fill, fill some time with comedy yeah, so that's that's definitely something I've been encouraging them, and they've been letting me do more. Is if there does need to, you know, because there's also a million technical elements happening in the show, and every once in a while, these things are run by computers, and some of those computers are Windows. Uh, so every <laughs> once in a while, there is something where they have to like stop for a second, and I'm always like, yes, just send me out. That's the beauty of being the only Cirque show with a Santa comedian is if there is an issue, just send me out. I'll fill whatever you need. That's awesome. I gotta come see. How long are you gonna be doing it? I'm there for a while. I'm there for at least a year. So yeah, you got you got some time. But it's it's every Friday through Tuesday, uh, seven and nine thirty. So we got ten shows a week. Oh wow! Damn, that's yeah. intense. 
Super intense. I'm tired and I don't have to flip. <laughs> Harrison, we, we like to ask our guests before we get into the stories, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that's ranged from having done full degrees in it to I used to blow stuff up in the woods with my friends. And you have a magic background, so I'm guessing there's some overlap. There's some There were some explosions in your childhood. Yeah, I, I was definitely a um, a science nerd. I went to space camp. Okay. Oh, me, t- me too. I, oh, nice. Did we go to the same one? Was it in Florida? Uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Ah. I wish there was a rivalry. There isn't, but it would be so funny if the people from Alabama <laughs> space camp hated the people from Florida space camp. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I also went to DNA camp at Cold Spring Harbor. That sounds uh, problematic. What, what is? Yes, it was. It was not actually that problematic. Um, it, they, they have a genetics lab out there, so for uh, one week, I would travel. It was about two hours from my house, so we would travel to Cold Spring Harbor. You spend a whole day learning about genetics and doing like gel electrophoresis and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was actually kind of nice. Um, uh, and then I, in college, I was a psychology major, so I did a lot. I did psych research, and so I was. Uh, uh, although some would consider it a soft science, I was a science major in college. Uh, we, we we count that here. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, definitely. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Did you yeah. find, like, did did that, there must have been some overlap, because I know you were, oh, you were into magic and doing that when you were younger, obviously, as well. And, like, was, was there, because a lot of magic is about the psychology of of perception, so, and, and yeah. uh, attention. Uh, to use a psychology term, I think there's a third variable problem in there, in that I think the reason I love magic and comedy and psychology I think there's that overlap that it's all because I'm fascinated with how people think um, and because with, with comedy it's all about I thought you were going to people... say uh, not getting laid yeah exactly <laughs> I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm obsessed with not getting laid very yeah, there's into... a bigger circle around all three circles that just says virgin <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect overlap yes uh, no all of my all of my uh, career and hobby uh, just everything is in a vir- giant virgin circle so I, to- I totally understand yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm no stranger to a uh, a rings and things promo email. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm no stranger to a, <laughs> a doing a little toodly too, a little sleight of hand. Hmm? I don't um, think there is a move called toodly too, but now I want to invent it. <laughs> there's a toodly too. You can do it. Uh, everyone knows the. Uh, uh, it's a very famous. Uh, what Dave Vernon uh, the toodly too. Toodly too. Uh, um, <laughs> everyone's aware of the. <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, when did the, I, 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 uh, the third variable or like what they have in, do you think it's, um, is misdirection or like a distraction or, because I've always felt like comedy and magic are freakishly similar. Yeah. You have a secret, like you're just hiding something. Jokes are just verbal magic tricks, for sure. Yeah, um, it's yeah. all it's that misdirection, bringing their attention one way and then revealing it somewhere else. Um, so there's definitely that in common, for sure. Yeah. When did the magic bug hit? Every time we have a magician on, and we've had a few, I, uh, I always ask. Oh, I was like five like, years old. I think it's like most magicians have that thing where they got for Hanukkah or Christmas, they got a magic set. I was five years old. My dad did a trick. Wouldn't tell me how he did it. So I became obsessed with it. Uh, then I got a, a magic set a little bit later for Hanukkah. Loved it. Uh, my parents were really, really encouraging. I'm sure they didn't think it was going to be a career. The, uh, the, yeah. The weird thing about little kid magic kits uh, is that, like, if you can get good at that, because they're not good props. 
<laughs> and it's like if you get good at just the shitty like foam bunnies or whatever, like you're going to be really good. Does that yeah. make sense? Like really expensive like gimmicks or whatever. It's like they sort of do it for you. I mean, not they don't, but you know what I mean? Well, they're a gateway drug. So you you go, oh, I, I bet you there's some better, harder stuff out there. Right. And then you go to a magic store. So for me, uh, it was Tannins in New York City. Uh, you walk into that and then you it's like walking into Nirvana. I mean, you see all this magic and all these cabinets and shelves. There are these guys who can sell you these secrets. And that that experience, I, I remember my, my parents taking me to New York for my birthday so I could pick something out of Tannins. And that's. There's, there's no better feeling on earth, uh, at least for for me as a magic kid. That's very cool. What'd you get at Tannins? Ooh, um, that's a good question. What did I get? Um, I think I was very lucky because I also went to magic camp. So Tannins had a magic camp. How many uh, different camps did you have? Yeah, there's a, a lot going on here. On one hand, you could say, wow, my parents really were willing to send me anywhere I was interested. Or they were like, let's get him the fuck out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I would like at least a one week vacation every summer. Wow. I guess yeah. I, was a, I was a camp kid too. I guess like in dorky things as well, like yeah, music and space camp. I guess mostly just those two. Well, and it was Andy, like a Jewy really Long the- Island thing. Long Island, all the Jewy kids. I mean, everybody went to sleepaway camp, and they would go to like more of the classic sleepaway camps for six weeks. And I think my parents uh, instead were like, "Let's send you to something where you can focus on things you're passionate about." So magic camp made more sense than you know going to a. a but I, I did go to like, uh, there was a camp called Island Lake I went to for two weeks. It was extremely homesick. Um, and they had a little, but I went to that one because they had a little magic program as well. And that guy, I'm still friends with the guy who, uh, who taught me magic at Island Lake. That's awesome. That's very cool. Jesse, what were you asking? Um, I completely forget. It was, um, <laughs> oh yeah, what you got at Tannins. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, what was I, oh, the-, the reason I mentioned the magic camp is they encourage us to get books. Um, oh, I think yeah. sometimes I would get DVDs. I think one of my favorite purchases was um, Michael Lamar had a a series of DVDs on card magic. Uh, and those were like the best. It was easy to master card miracles. And there was like a million volumes. And they each one came with a gimmick. So you had one gimmick trick in there. Plus you had all the other tricks. Uh, and so you could you would buy that and you'd be able to do at least eight or nine really solid tricks, I think, every for, for each DVD. And he would teach you all the moves, so I would learn some of the basics by learning those tricks which had those basics, basics in them. Did you ever did you ever get into, like, the really old-school books? Like, um, was it, like, a, a swindler at the card table or whatever it's called? An like, expert at the card table. An expert at the card table, yeah. With the, like, yeah. The, the guy's name is backwards or whatever. Well, so it's S.W. Erdnays. There no you go. one knows who he is. There is constant people who come up with theories. It's like... Uh, who was uh, D.B. Cooper or or who was the Zodiac Killer. Just un- unknowable mysteries that people will keep trying to crack. So who is S.W. Erdnays? Unsure. Although the name backwards is Andrews, so people think that might be a clue. Right. But for all we know, that's just yet another misdirect. So for, for our listeners that have had sex, what this is, <laughs> is it's it's a book and it's like one of the first sleight of hand books. But it was like originally, I guess, sort of for gambling uh, am I describe? Am I completely bungling this? It well, was yeah, like no, very he, early moves, like card. It moves. was a guy who was showing the moves you use for card cheating. So not not technically magic moves. These are moves that people really use in a hand to cheat at poker or you but know false shuffles. It's got like thirty false shuffles. False but shuffling. It's like, but it's like a Victorian era book or some shit. Um, it's a little like, bit later than that, but it's like Di Vernon. Um, who's this Canadian magician who you mentioned before, who is considered one of the best close-up guys. He really popularized it because he grew up, that was his main magic, one of his main magic texts. 
So he popularized this book and said, hey, there's so many good things in this book and most magicians aren't even reading it because it's not actually a magic book. And mm. that really set it off as sort of one of the uh, holy books of magic. <laughs> that you know, When you start as magic, there are certain books that you sort of have to put on your shelf. Um, Tarbell, volumes one through eight, those are considered classics. Um, I consider Art of Astonishment a classic, but definitely if you go into any magic library, you're probably gonna find a copy of Expert at the Card Table. Did you ever get any of like the um, trade stuff where like you it's like you're buying one trick like um, so I'm I'm like a huge like Tommy Wonder fan. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? I'm like that guy was like the shit, you know, uh, but he would have stuff that I've never gone to any like of the um, like lectures or anything like that. Like I was never in that deep. I would just like watch YouTube and stuff. But um, he would have like things that he said he had like a cups and balls routine where it's like a meatball it, like involves a meatball he would have like weird stuff that he would sell at his lectures sort of like his merch that he would sell to other magicians and i got a few of those where it's just one trick but it's like it's the most insane stuff ever and i was wondering if you if you ever got any of those like very thin does that make sense where like you're just buying a, oh, one yeah. routine like oh 100 percent. i mean yeah. that was as a magic kid now it's less so but you you could still get the catalogs and you would go through the catalog, and each one would try to sell you the trick without and without telling you how it was done. And sometimes they were great, and sometimes you would you would you know, you would save your allowance. Like I remember, I would see this trick, and I said, "You can float any small object, no threads, no magnets, no mirrors. And it's a universal floating device for small objects." And I think it was maybe ten or fifteen dollars. And, and I I remember saving up for it, and I finally had enough money, and my parents took me to the magic store. This was Magic Max in Times Square. Uh, <laughs> I remember going, okay, I'm ready for the universal floating device. And they gave it to me and it came in this box and there was a picture of somebody floating something in the middle and I got home and it was a fake thumb with a suction cup. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is you would stick the, th the suction cup onto any object, which it barely stuck to any object. So it really was not universal. And if you held your hands in the right way, it kind of looked like it was floating. And I just remember being so disappointed. Um, so there was definitely those experiences. And then for every one of those, you know, you would go in there and, and the demonstrator would, you know, do pen through dollar. And that's a great trick. Uh, or they would do, uh, in, you know, invisible deck, which is also an amazing trick. And when and the secret is incredible and fascinating. Um, so for every one of those universal floating devices, there is, you, you know, you'd get even for $10 or $30, you would get this just intricate secret thing. And it was that was always so cool. Yeah. By the way, spe speaking of card uh, trickery, or I guess this guy calls himself a card mechanic, but uh, like nothing blows my mind in the world of magic more than Richard Turner. I've you met know? Richard um, a, a couple of times. Richard's uh, Richard's amazing. For those who don't know, he, there's a documentary about him, but he's blind, um, and he does all this incredible card stuff. Uh, and it's yeah, it's amazing. Is it really? I mean, I guess I'm sort of asking you to reveal a secret, but I mean, like. Is it not actually a trick and he's telling the truth as far as like by feel he is learning every card in the deck or I mean it would be an incredible version of the prestige if it turns out he could see the whole time. Well, no, uh, I know, but I'm but saying no, like, he, but, but, like can he, but, but how does it work? Like how, how when you watch, I mean, he, he can like shuffle a deck and then deal it out every card in order. Like it, it's insane. And it, like, Maybe it's just someone can get to a level you can't even wrap your head around. But is it literally that he's learned the feel? And he'll take a deck and like learn by feel all fifty-two cards, or would it have to be like just following a procedure? 
I guess I'm asking you to know someone else's tricks, but I just well, it's, don't it's understand com- Richard Turner. <laughs> I think it's a combination of things, but um, I think it was Teller of Penn and Teller who had a thing about, you know, the best secret for some of the tricks is just time. Right. Um, some people, if, if sometimes the secret is you just spend way more time than any normal person would ever imagine spending on a dumb thing. Right. And that is almost enough to be a secret. Like you just spend so much time learning how to do this dumb thing that has no use except for that trick. And people would never be able to comprehend that that is what you spent all your time yeah. doing. Yeah, I guess that's wow. just me. Yeah, like I, th- I think you can shuffle where like it's literally one for one from each side of the, like it's a perfect shuffle in terms of, I guess not perfect because it's not random, but do you know what I mean? It's like left, right, left, right. Like they're stacked exactly. That's, yeah, that, that's, that actually is a tr- is something that we teach our kids at camp. That 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 that's actually a basic move. Um, what? His that 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 shuffle. Um, but there there's uh he does other stuff that is like so beyond and yeah that's uh, not the main thing. I'm just saying even yeah. that I can't wrap my head around. But but that's that's teachable. That's that's uh not just a few people. On that the one's just time. That's literally once there are certain little tips and tricks that let that happen. Um, but it's really that one is just practice, pure practice. Huh. Wow. Yeah, if anybody hasn't seen him, just look up any clip on YouTube. It's just mind-blowing. But What's your take on uh, mentalists, like mentalism magic? Uh, the, only, so- the funny thing is there are mentalists who say, I'm not a magician. I'm a mentalist. They think mentalism is a separate art form. That feels weird to me. It's like being yeah. a catcher and being like, I don't play baseball. Sure, your position <laughs> maybe is a little bit weirder than some of the other people on the field, but like, <laughs> you're on the team, buddy. <laughs> wow. Well, did, did you guys know? <clears throat> that um, uh, <clears throat> did you guys know that men may gamble more money after a positive fortune telling, even when they don't believe it? What? Yes. Yeah. This story that was uh, sent in. It's a uh, where, where is it? It's a Meg, Meg H. Oh, Meg Hebing. I'm sorry. Yeah, Meg Hebing sent it in, Meg. and it is on NBCNews.com. Meg Hebing. Yeah. Yeah, yep. this this feel this feel felt like a story that's fairly appropriate for you as something that crosses a bunch of the things you're involved in. Even if there appears to be no such reaction amongst women, which is curious. Hmm. People so people tend to follow superstitions whether they profess to believe in them or not. Psychologists think this may be because they want to maintain an illusion of control which the superstition gives them, or they want to impose a sense of order as a psychological defense to random events, which looks the same to an observer as an adherence to superstition. Did I tell you guys about that time I got in trouble at the Renaissance Fair? <laughs> uh, no. Maybe. I'll... I'm sorry. You tell everybody that you knew when the moon would be covered and predicted the eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Our Renaissance, our Renaissance fair used to have human sacrifice. It was very. Uh, no, I. Um, it, I don't know. I just thought of it. It's just weird that it says uh, there's no reaction here among women. I. I got. In tr- we took a field trip in sixth grade to the Ren Fair, and I got in trouble in the bus, and I still don't know why. Like someone blamed me for like throwing a paper airplane or something I didn't do. I just randomly got in trouble on the bus. I was just like sitting there. And uh, when all the kids got to go off and like, you know, look at the joust or whatever, I had to stay with this teacher, Miss Bartlett. I had to stay with her the whole time. Uh, And I'm like uh, 11 years old. And she spent about $500. She went to every fortune teller to like see when she would get some dick. (laughs) And I just had to like hang out with her. It was horrible. Anyway, that's all. <laughs> well, the study only shows that men are more likely to make financial risks based on these kind of superstitions. But I imagine a woman is willing to – I've seen women willing to like get a divorce over Mercury being in retrograde. So I feel like there are some other sides to it. 
Sure. No, it's just it's just very interesting to me. I just it just made me wonder. I'm like, I wonder how Bartlett would, uh, you know, I was just trying to think, like, did we do any gambling or anything after that? Did she go to like a one of those like games of chance? I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so th- so this in this story, um, the st- the study suggests that seemingly irrational superstitions can affect decision making, even relatively important financial decisions that many people expect would be co- governed by hard headed analysis. Says uh, psychologist Zhuo uh, Tan, who's a researcher at Erasmus in Rotterdam. By the way, I I don't think important financial decisions are governed by hard headed analysis at all. People, there are all sorts of. Um, uh, psychological errors that come into play but anyway right, uh, yeah. superstition suggesting that good luck is ahead may increase men's expectation of beating the odds decrease anxiety provide a justification for a risky choice and consequently increase men's risk-taking behaviors she said uh she's the lead author of this study the researchers used a smartphone fortune telling app supposedly based on things like a user's birth date and favorite color but in fact was purely random to conduct experiments with more than 600 participants they found that men who received a positive fortune said in subsequent questions after they completed another task to distract them from the fortune telling stage of the app that they would be more that they were more inclined to take financial risks and gamble more heavily even though most of them claimed to not believe in fortune telling i do love when they say uh it was based on things like users birthday and favorite color but it was in fact purely random as if any smartphone fortune telling app even the quote unquote real ones are not purely random <laughs> no these ones those ones they've really done the they've really done the work on them and it's actually it really is based on like genuine mathematical uh <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing is so i've i've spent i worked on a show for abc called would you fall for that um and i also worked on a show called brain games and on both shows uh both are science shows um i should have mentioned that in the science background um <laughs> The, uh, those we both we did things about debunking psychics because we constantly have to do it. Um, it. It doesn't matter how many times you put out a piece of media being like this is not real. Stop believing in it. Uh, either it comes up in a new form, um, or it's it, it's it's wild. I mean, we we did stuff where we basically gave everybody the exact same horoscope, um, but had them all believe that. Uh, you know, they were getting a specific horoscope and they rated it as unbelievably accurate. Um, and that was because we were using things like Barnum statements um, on brain games. I was the actual cold reader. I was the fake psychic. Um, That's awesome. And the cra- the funny, there was a couple of funny things about that. Um, but wh- one was that they introduced me as a Harvard trained debunker of psychics. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I went to that school, but uh, that was not part of my train. <laughs> there was no class uh, where I learned that. Um <laughs> So that felt a little bit weird. Um, but uh, they, we, we started off, I was doing tarot, uh, and the tarot went really, really well. Um, people were crying. People were like, um, I can't believe he knows all these things. Um, and then they kept upping the ante. They said, okay, no tarot. We just want you to do aura reading so there are no props. And it went just as well. And then they said, okay, now you're just a psychic, and you're just going to take a deep breath and tell them things about themselves. <laughs> And I was like, there's no way. Because it's nice to have that crutch of like, well, look, no, no, the tarot cards are saying it, not me. And it didn't matter. And and the funny thing was we did horoscopes, tarot, or reading, or nothing, or talking to the dead, and it's all this exact same bullshit. Right. Just to be clear, a Barnum statements, just for the people who don't know, those, those are sort of open statements that can be, that contain both sides, right? They're sort of... Yeah, so a Barnum statement 
uh, those are really useful, in, in, especially in horoscopes, if you have to write them out. Uh, by the way, horoscopes don't date back very late. People think they're old. They didn't start appearing in newspapers until around World War II. Um, and it was very easy to write a horoscope then because everybody's horoscope was just, you will die in World War II. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that worked uh, about 80% of the time, depending where you lived. And uh, I don't know. The, I mean, the, the ones from like 1935 that said that are kind of legit. <laughs> right, exactly. Know, like, the ones in 1935, crazy. unbelievable. <laughs> like, well, World who, War One had just happened, so it wasn't a big guess. Yeah, like who wrote that? <laughs> uh, but the Barnum statement is you say, you know what? I feel like you tend to be the life of the party, extroverted, although there are times where you just want to be alone and be by yourself. Right. And so you're you're playing both sides of the fence. There's nobody who doesn't fit that statement. That's like, are you, uh, you must be aware of Tyler Henry. Oh, my God. I those I, Those people are... So that he's doing cold reading and he's also doing hot reading. Yeah, that's the thing I, about Tyler Henry that's particularly infuriating. Oh, what, what are those things? What what are those? What does that mean? Cold reading. Yeah. And hot so reading. cold reading is a skill. Um, not not if used not magical. Uh, not, it, it is well, mentalists will use cold reading, and that's sort of for good. Where you're saying like I'm a I'm not an actual mind reader. This is all an illusion. So if you want to use those techniques for that for that, that's totally fine. Like your Darren Browns or your you know those kind of mentalists where cold reading might be part of it. Um, but uh, cold reading is essentially you are being sort of non-committal. You're using anything you can to try to start to get hits. So based on your demographics, based on things that you notice about the person you start to float ideas out and, and using those bottom using, statements as well and just yeah barnum statements are useful there and you're using their body language or sometimes they'll just say yes that's correct but sometimes it's just about the change in their position you're reading them you're starting cold because you have no actual information you're reading them as you say those statements and you start to narrow it in. And so the classic examples when you see the John Edward types where they go, I'm seeing like an M letter and somebody in the audience goes, that's me. And he goes, is it like Mark or Mike? Mike. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm seeing. A Mike. He didn't know it was Mike. Of course. Yeah. He's floating these things out and gradually narrowing it down. And psychological studies will show uh, like if you take if you go to a psychic reading and you tape record it, that was what the study was. They literally like recorded it with cassettes. They ask people later, what was the percentage of hits and misses? And they're always wrong. They always think there are way more hits than misses because the cold reader is really good at emphasizing the hits and explaining away the misses. Right. And that, so it that seems like the person's hitting a lot. And that's not. also a common cognitive bias in general. You sort of you remember coincidences and you don't remember. Right. You, and you there's confirmation bias because you want these people want to believe right. that the psychics are psychic. What and what's a hot read? Hot read is what these uh, people are doing most of the time. A hot read is when you're not guessing because you have the information because mm. you googled them or sent a private investigator ahead of yourself, um, <laughs> or you had them fill out a form saying who would you who would you, that you promised the guy, the psychic will never see, but who 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 are you hoping Tyler gets in contact with? And they say, oh man, if he was able to talk to my grandmother, that would be amazing. And they say, don't worry, that's our little secret. And then they run to Tyler and say, it's his grandmother. Her name is Daphne. <laughs> Wow. So hot reading is when you have the information and the fact that Tyler's whole thing is celebrity talking to the dead. They're the easiest people to Google yeah. on earth. Yeah, it's insane. Hot reading is so much easier when the person is famous and all of their shit is available. Right. That show got me so mad. I watched all of it, though. I was so 
angry I couldn't stop watching and then Googling him and also the techniques and like paying attention to the stuff. Because also in the edit, they don't have to leave in all the misses. They leave in a few misses. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, he's editing out all of the misses, so he's going to look amazing. Right. But then like, and then I'm learning things like the vanishing negative, which is like brilliant when he says things like, so he, he wasn't involved in a car accident, was he? And no matter what you say to that, it's correct. (laughs) <laughs> right exactly so, exactly so it, yeah it, it can read both ways and that's 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 a cold reading technique generally what was, what was the line that, sorry I, what was the thing he wasn't said? he wasn't he wasn't involved in a car accident was he and then if you say he was but if you say, no he wasn't either way oh, perfect, you were correct because yes. you phrased it this way like yeah yeah and then you also say things where you're just vague you're like i'm getting this feeling I, I don't know what it is but there's this like father figure or this masculine energy and sometimes they'll just fill in the blank and then yeah. you get to take credit for it and the whole time he's doing this thing that he claims he has to to get in the zone, which is scribble on this notepad. But he's not even if he was making this really cool sketch while he's doing it, it would be something. But he's literally just going back and forth, making lines with his pencil and acting like this is like a trance. He's going. He's the biggest charlatan. But, but that it's that's a really useful technique. The scribbling doesn't have to be just lines. So if you start writing random words down, eventually you might write a word down that's specific and correct. And then you can circle it and turn it around and see, oh, my God, I wrote Rebecca. <laughs> You see the page is full of 50 other names. That exactly. <laughs> and he's crossing them off. Yeah. No, I was guy. just, it took me a second to re- re- remember the name of, um, and re-Google the, the story, but it was, it was Popoff, Peter Popoff, who was exposed hot reading, wasn't it? By Randy years ago. Yes. Yes. Where... That was a great story. So Peter was, I mean, the funny thing is they're all wearing different costumes. So Tyler is a psychic who talks to the dead. Peter Popoff was a, an evangelist who was talking to God. Um, and he would so know God all the specific dead? information. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. But he would heal people and they couldn't figure out how he was getting the information, but they started to suspect that he had an earpiece and that somebody off stage was just giving him all the information because people would fill out these prayer cards and then they would just take them backstage and they would know all the information they needed because they put it on the card. So they were like, wait a second, if he's using a radio frequency to get that information to his earpiece, then we just need something that picks up on radio frequency. So right. they- and this was back in the day when everything was analog. So like now you couldn't do it because it would be a digital signal that you would be encoded, encrypted, but uh, exactly. or it'd be so a lot picked harder up on anyway. a signal. They recorded the signal. <laughs> so they were able to put the exact, all the information he was getting fed, that exact feed next to the footage. And you see him just get that information and then see how he uses it. It's, uh, it's... Uh, but amazingly, still around. That's what's astonishing. Still about selling this water. He sells like holy water through like infomercials, which is just water. I mean, if Liquid Death can do it, why not have a magician do it? That's. Uh... <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I love I love to hate those some of those guys. Not not like um, Darren Brown, but um, yeah, Tyler Henry is just ugh, awful. Yeah, it's Miracle Spring Water, which is still running on on television somehow still still works not to be confused with camp lejeune water which you should not drink uh you guys seen Uh, those those class action it's like every channel now actually i don't know what you're talking about it's uh there are those commercials that come on like uh cnn nbc like it's like um were you stationed at camp lejeune did you drink the water Oh, well, I've seen that, and it's this class action lawsuit situation. Huh. Um, I don't know what Camp Lejeune is. Presumably, some sort of, you know, uh, 
correct. Military. Virginia. I also went there. I went to space camp. I went to DNA camp. I went to Camp Lejeune. There was a series, anything with camp in it. I was there. There for the Camp David Accords, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. So, hey, you know who who else would be good at, uh, potentially good at uh, being a fake psychic? Who's that? Who is that? Dogs. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Dogs, it turns out, can sniff out stress on their owner's breath. Mm. They are they are incredibly fine. Another way which they are very finely tuned to humans and their mental state. So they they had they did a scientific st- sniffing test in this BBC story. They they can smell stress in our breath and sweat. Four dogs, which are pets volunteered by their owners, were trained to choose one of three scent canisters. And in more than 650 of 700 trials, they successfully identified a sample of sweat or breath that had been taken from a stressed person. This because is research. They like it more or don't like I it? I don't know. So they, this research at Queen's <laughs> University in Belfast. They say that help. like it's a type of person, like like a like a race, a stressed person. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I'm a stressed person. I, I'm a third generation stressed American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So dogs dogs experience their world through smell. This this could potentially be used for therapy. Dogs, it says here, and they're highly sensitive. Scent detection abilities are already used to detect drugs, explosives, and illnesses, including certain cancers, diabetes, and even COVID. So I'm going to want to come back to this, because this has come up in the show before, how drug-sniffing dogs are mostly bullshit. Right, right. How this is... uh, Mm. They're actually mostly... Like, in controlled experiments, they actually seem to do little better than chance. And it's just basically a device... It's a technique that police use to get probable cause for searches that they want to do um, and the dogs are just in it for the treats like they exactly just, uh, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they and like as as this story is suggesting as well like they are sensitive to their handlers body language and behavior so they could be like oh okay i guess i guess i'll do whatever the this person has drugs on them move is uh and then the police can go oh look he he sat down in front of you so we've got to search you um and then even if they don't find drugs, they're like, well, he probably was near someone with drugs, and that's why he had... So the dog is still correct. Um, but anyway, this story, though. This this story, which I hope is... So is Tyler some... Henry is just a drug dog? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. Hollywood, a... Hollywood drug dog. A Hollywood drug dog. <laughs> I, but I hadn't heard about this guy in this show before. Is, it, is this a Netflix thing? Yeah, he had a show called Hollywood Psychic, I think, and then yes. Netflix's original is maybe just called... Oh, I think Life After Death with Tyler Henry. And it's shot in this very somber... I mean, it's also just so manipulative because these are grieving people. It's just awful. But he's such a character, a hateable... I mean, and, and he does all the sort of like delicate genius moves where like you can't disturb it. He needs time to... It takes so much out of him every time he does it. He needs to recharge and he'll just like have a breakdown in the car on the way home. And oh, that was so powerful. I'm like, oh, you fucking fraud you manipulative <laughs> yeah fraud. like even on his wikipedia page i'm seeing that they they give him credit because alan thick died to an aortic dissection at the age of 69 but several months before his death thick suggested that he might have possible heart problems like multiple men in thick's family what are the odds that an older man has a heart issue, especially if other people in your family have heart issues? Right, right. How is that? that and he gets credit for that. That's it's, in his Wikipedia page. It's unreal how he predicted that that human being would die. <laughs> unreal to predict yeah, such, at some point to you predict will die. such an outcome. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so um, we had 
uh, researcher, lead researcher Clara Wilson said, we had lots of evidence that dogs can pick up smells from humans that are associated with certain medical conditions or disease, but we don't have much evidence they can smell differences in our psychological state. The 36 human volunteers reported their stress levels before and after completing a difficult maths problem. Each, each can contained a sample of their sweat or breath from before or as long as their blood pressure and heart rate had also increased after. I'll tell you what, as somebody who loves escape rooms, I think if you put a difficult math problem in front of me and a time limit, uh, no stress difference. (laughs) (laughs) Excitement. Just excitement and euphoria. But that would also mean an increase in in heart rate. So, True, true, true. What I'm saying is I want to bring a dog into an escape room. Bring a dog into an escape room. Please Mm. let me do it. (laughs) Are there, I, I haven't done any of the Vegas escape rooms. I'm sure there's a few good ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was one in L.A. I think it might still be around called a dog's house or dog's house. And the whole idea is you were a dog. So everything is sized up. And so there you get there's a dog house. It was considered like a really, really good escape room. I never got to do it. And I I, I think it doesn't exist anymore. But uh, there was a, a dog themed escape room. We were just you were the dog in the run up to uh, in the run up to COVID. We were doing escape where we we're doing a different escape room every. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And and then we continued it into March, and then suddenly, like the last one we did, we were like, "Should we be in here now?" Because uh, it was definitely like butting up against COVID, starting to get into the into the US. But that was what you you were with us, Andy. You did um I did at least Stash one? House with us. You did more than one with us, but you yeah. did Stash House, I'm sure, which was I think my favorite one in LA. Oh, is that the be- oh interesting to know because I haven't done that many in LA, so but that's that downhill the, from there. The drug dealer one, the oh right, yeah, that was cool. Did we have to get some help on that? I forgot. No, I don't think we did. I think oh, we did, good. but we we div- we had a lot of people. That was a real divide and conquer one. Yeah, I have a friend who does them alone, which I am impressed by. But I'm also like, I don't know that my ego would allow me to go check in and be like, "Yep, I'm just gonna don't mind me. I'm gonna go in this room alone for an hour." <laughs> I could have called friends. I swear. I just want to challenge myself. Uh... I'd like to try it one time. <laughs> yeah, I assume it's it a discount. Insane. You're not paying the full. There is, I do, there also, I, I, it's really funny. I, so my fiance and I will do escape rooms, just us two. And every once in a while, there's a room where you need like, everybody has to hold hands across the room and touch two metal things. And when you do that, it opens the door. And so you need to have at least four people. Uh, so like, I've, I've heard of stories where they're like, okay, two people are fine. But if you need, if you happen to need other humans, just ask. We have to call and go, I need the bodies. And it's like two bodies. people who work for the escape room come in and help you hold the thing. <laughs> Well, they just press a button and release it and just go, yeah, you would have you you done it. You knew what yeah. you were meant to do. Is right. This the part where we... I do enjoy a good Oculus-based, uh, puzzly, escape roomy VR game, though. There's a bunch of good ones for that. Heck yeah. And by the way, as somebody who owns a dog, do you guys, do you guys have dogs as well? No, I do not have a dog. I've got a couple I... of cats. My first reaction, I, mean, I think cats are probably opposite. The more stressed you are, the better. They're evil. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm sure cats are wonderful. But I think uh, I've there's been times where I've been very stressed or I haven't felt well. And it definitely feels at least like my dog Rufus is going out of his way to be extra nice. Oh. What kind of dog is Rufus? He's a terrier schnauzer. Oh, I think that's kind of what I had growing up. Uh, what color? Gray. Oh. Sounds a little like Murphy, mine. But it feels like dogs do like it does. Again, it could be a version of of 
of the drug thing where you want them to be your best friend. So you want you, you but it, it does feel like he, he does know that if I'm distressed and reacts differently. Yeah. My, uh, my cats uh, just could not give a shit. And I've, I've, <laughs> I want, I had a very stressful week this week, just with like weird family health stuff. And so there were a few break, I had a few breakdowns around the cats. You know what I'm saying? I'm just sitting here alone at home around the cats. And, um, I, I like, I, I wanted it so bad just for one of them to come over and be a little like comforting, you know, like be my buddy. And, uh, it was, it was like funny. Like it like made it funny how completely indifferent, <laughs> Uh, they just couldn't care less. And I was like, yeah, they they would totally just eat me if I... Uh... Have you done the thing of pretending to collapse in front of your cats? I've done all kinds of weird experiments like that, and they don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm constantly doing stuff like that. Have you shown... Have you, uh, Harrison, have you shown your dog any magic tricks? I've taught my dog to do magic tricks. Go on. <laughs> um, we've, taught, we, we, we've been teaching him two tricks. One is really I do a lot of the work. <laughs> um, but he's able to re- he's able to pick a card out from a deck of cards. Um, the other thing is we are trying to get him to visually recognize cards. It's uh, he's getting there. Um, he can pick out a royal card versus a number card because they're more visually stimulating. Oh. Um, so it's it's hard. It's it's been very. He's he's usually pretty fast at learning a trick, and this one has taken uh, a while. Um, my fiance is also very patient with with Rufus. Um, but yeah, he he he, he uh, can do two magic tricks. And uh, if you do simple magic in front of me, definitely act a little bit confused. He gets mad. Because <laughs> wow. I know people were doing, we, we tried doing this when I was still, when I was on Jim Jeffries. We tried, like a couple of the writers brought their dogs into the office and we tried, there was a, like a viral thing where people were, they were doing this very basic, very simple magic trick where you stand in a doorway and you just throw a blanket up in the air and you basically duck behind the doorway. So as it, <laughs> as it drops down, you've gone. Uh, and... And there are all these videos of like dogs freaking out and just like running over to where the person was and disappeared. And we tried it several times with different dogs. Nothing. Nothing. Really? <laughs> huh. I would have thought they have the object permanence thing at least going for them. Do any of you follow What About Bunny on Instagram? Oh, is that the talking dog? Yeah, the poodle with all the word buttons. That That feels to me, again, in that vein of you can have a dog hitting a lot of buttons and eventually you'll say something and you can read into it. That's the problem is like, I don't know how I, I, I still want to believe it because there's such intent behind the pressing. It's not, it's not like it's walking over them accidentally. Like it's seeking these buttons out. Uh, but of course it's a selection or editing bias of what they're putting up. But like sometimes it's just unbelievable what happens there. It's not impossible certainly. So I just wish I could just, See hey, a full day in the life of that dog. It, yeah, it's weird they loaded up so many racial slurs, is what I find out <laughs> about the dog. Because it's like, does he believe Why that? does this dog hate Mexicans? Yeah, does he believe that? Make, he's like, a chihuahua, for God's sake. But why would they even make that button? Like, why entertain that? Have you? Yeah. I think because of the popularity of Bunny and dogs like that, people have started to do a lot of like swearing button dogs, and those are kind of great. And some of them, you, can, you actually can record your own voice into them, so you can put any word on them. Oh, all of them you can. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the idea. Like, that's you, you buy it, then you put... Then you record the thing you want to teach them, and like Bunny's now got a, an array of like probably a hundred of these buttons with concepts about time. Like there's yesterday and tomorrow, and um, just like these abstract concepts that I don't know how you would start giving a treat to reinforce. Oh yes, that's the concept of yesterday. Like what did you yeah. get right there? <laughs> Rufus can hit it. We have t- taught Rufus to ring the bell when he needs to go outside, 
Um, so it's like kind of a reverse Pavlov where he, now he just rings the bell every time he wants to, even if he doesn't have to pee outside, he, if he just wants to be in the sun, he'll just look at us and ding. Yeah. So you definitely can train the dog to, to, to hit a button for sure. Yeah. I'm sure you could do some basic things pretty easily. Yeah. Food and outside. Um, but yeah, sometimes like Bunny, the owner will ask if she wants to go for a walk and she'll hit no and then go sit down on the couch. <laughs> I'm like, I, that's how, I hope that's real. It's amazing if it is. But um, I don't have a good trans. Let me think of a, let's see, good transition from dog into asteroid. Anybody? Throw oh, this I out didn't there know the for next you, story. I didn't, No, uh, I, didn't I, know that, I didn't know uh, a segue was coming. What is this? There is it now. That is the segue. I thought we should do an update on darts. Oh, yeah. No. So I would do something. uh, Obviously, you would do something like um, sometimes you like to take your dog out and play fetch, you know, with Frisbee or something. What you you don't want to use is a lawn dart. Um, You don't want to use a dart because I'll tell you something. This uh, this fucking asteroid, you know, and then we'll (laughs) then you're there. I'm going to I'm going to do a bad segues masterclass on that masterclass program. That's my ticket out. You mean on the Great Courses Plus? Yes, yes, on the great courses. But yes. yes, yes. How about this? Oh, can you believe it? My last dog's name was Asteroid. Was it really? No. Oh, but oh, okay. it, was, it would have yeah, been yeah, a helpful yeah. transition. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so on... his name was Cosmo. And speaking of the Cosmos, <laughs> so we talked about uh, the Dart mission to redirect um, an asteroid back. Was was Deepak on when we talked about Dart, or did we just? I yes. Don't know. Oh. It's been a while. Look at look at this on Google. If you Google Dart Asteroid, mm-hmm. uh, a little satellite flies across the screen and knocks into the news tab, and then the whole results page slightly goes at an angle. Oh, I love it. I got to try it. I know the listeners are not going to be able to see this, but I want to... <laughs> Wait, what did you have Less to... Less time animating. More uh, getting rid of that asteroid, please. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Wow. Wait, yes, what are we the, doing? We're Googling. Just Google the words DART asteroid. Okay. So, yes, the so, DART project, which stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And uh, this was launched back in November of last year. So that must have been when we had Deepak on to talk yeah, about we had, Yeah, we were, we were discussing that. Yeah. Yeah, so it has crashed. I, I don't know if everyone's already seen the images, but... Um, it was supposed to. It was supposed to crash. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, the point was to crash into an asteroid. Yeah. It was sort of like a deep impact situation, but just trying to slightly change the trajectory of this asteroid, which was never going to hit us, but just a proof of concept to show this might be a viable thing if there were one. And on now now us. it is, unfortunately, on its way. Yeah, they, uh, it they really the wrong messed way. up. And That's definitely the movie version. <laughs> we just wanted to demonstrate we can knock it out of orbit, and now it's heading directly for Earth. Yep. Oopsies. That was our only ship. And uh, also, were you intentionally referencing Deep Impact over Armageddon? I feel like Armageddon is oh, I'm sorry, you failed. That's the, at least the more well-known one. Yeah, I, I forgot. And I forgot <laughs> at least if, from a soundtrack perspective. I forgot if Deep Impact even had an attempt at. Did they even? They sent. Yeah, they sent. Why. But it, but no, they were they were going to blow it up, and it it uh, blew into two, and then they had to sacrifice themselves to. Um, to blow up the uh, like the other chunk, right? You know what I mean. One of them was I think still going to beamed hit. episodes of Tyler Henry's show at the asteroid until it killed itself. <laughs> God, I, I did just I watched Moonfall recently, which is like a poor man's Armageddon. <laughs> it's really something. It's what is that? Like it was share Moonfall. Oh, that's no, moon- you think I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> I I miss a, a few things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, don't watch Moonfall or do. It's the director of Independence Day, so it's like very much in that vein. 
Anyhow, um, so this past Tuesday, the Italian Space Agency, uh, wait, does it have a name? It's just the Italian Space Agency, uh, released its first images from the tiny light Italian cube set for imaging of asteroids, Lakia Cube spacecraft, which had reached Earth about three hours after NASA's double asteroid redirection test spacecraft successfully impacted the asteroid Dimorphos about 7 million miles away from Earth. The images include a before and after comparison of the Didymos asteroid system, as well as photos of bright debris surrounding Diformos. Dimorphos. Both cameras aboard uh, Lycia Cube are represented. We're really proud, really very proud, Elisabetta Dotto, science team lead at Instituto Nazionale di Astrofisica, said during a news conference held in Italian on Tuesday. The images are crucial to helping scientists understand the structure and composition of Dimorphos. She said that while these photos are only the first couple to be released, the Lycia Cube images the team will be releasing over the coming days are also promising. In the final image shared today, Dimorphos is surrounded by bright, hazy debris. So it's covered by this really uh, by this emission of dust and detritus produced by the impact. Mm. Before impact, scientists weren't sure how the asteroid would respond to the collision. NASA's DART mission slammed into Dimorphos, the smaller space rock circling a larger asteroid called Didymos, to test a potential way of adjusting the orbit of an asteroid that threatens Earth should scientists ever detect, detect such an object. Now astronomers are keeping a close eye on the Didymos system, ready to measure just how much Dimorphos orbit, orbit sped up. That's the data that NASA needs to determine how successful DART was, but there's no reason to stop the observations there. Mission personnel also recruited three spacecraft and countless ground-based observatories to watch the impact and its aftermath. Then, of course, there's this Lycia cube, or Lycia cube. The tiny spacecraft hitched a ride with DART, which deployed the CubeSat on September 11th. It proceeded to test its two cameras on targets, including Earth and the Pleiades star cluster. And then, uh, so the camera on board that craft can photograph with high resolution, but only captures images in black and white, whereas its unit key explorer carries red, green, blue color filters and can observe a wider field of view. I hope because it was designed by the Italians, it could capture color, but they thought it was more moody it's that way. Here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the space this is our tribute to Fellini. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Uh, so let's see. On Monday, it says the tiny observer was ready to go, hanging back at a safe distance as Dart sped in, then flying past the impact site about three minutes later, snapping photos all the way. Uh, it also imaged the far side of Dimorphos, opposite Dart's crash site. And now it's on its way as Italy's first deep, sa- deep space mission cruising through deep space as it slowly beams its images back to Earth. Well, that's what you're going to want to do through deep space is cruise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and if, and for, the, for, uh, for all of our lovely listeners, if you want to listen to that uh, the episode with Deepak, he discusses the way they eject the cubes and like getting those from Italy um, on the dart, which is uh, kind of cool. It's like a last minute, last minute impact. They fire these cameras. So that doesn't crash, but takes the pictures and survives. Yeah, it's and also cool. uh, uh, we're bearing the lead here, which is that the sole instrument was called the Dynamos Reconnaissance and Asteroid Camera for Optical opti- Optical Navigation, or Draco, which is definitely an intentional Harry Potter reference. That's got to be yeah. Nerd's got a nerd. <laughs> all those things are always like re- backronymed, right? Yeah. Think of the fun yeah. word, and then yep. So it had the Draco on board, and then they crashed it. <laughs> That's what happens. But yeah, good work, NASA. That's a pretty amazing. Yeah. I hadn't seen these photos. I'd just seen the ones that are from the craft that died, because you see it getting closer and closer. Also, when you saw the up-close pictures of the surface, it was way different than I thought. I just pictured asteroids as being these smooth, 
like it's very rocky in 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 small granularity of rocks. Did you guys see the the choppy video of it crashing? Yeah, yeah. Did you were you surprised by that? Like it looks I was, like but a I, I rocky get, beach. I I couldn't get a sense of scale. Like oh right, I guess there's that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I uh, like yeah, it looked very rocky. But I I was like, man, maybe that's huge. I don't know. I think I'm just going off of like low res computer games uh, and what they can render an asteroid as. I'm like, oh yeah, they're like these smooth. Like oblong marble type things. Yeah, and then mostly like a green outline. Yeah. It's just a green outline, <laughs> and the then you choose a graphic. triangular. Yeah. You choose a green triangle at it. And or vector right. graphics, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, which one's raster? Which one's vector? That's vector. When like the ray, the CRT darts around the screen, right? As opposed to. As opposed to drawing line by line. Like asteroids and um, tempest. Those lines were like really bold and directly drawn by the gun in the back of the CRT, right? Can you picture what I'm saying? In an actual arcade. Uh, Does no one else get what? T, uh, uh, Jesse, you must, you you must be a video game dork enough to. No, that makes sense. Instead of it drawing line by line like you with a regular television, it's actually drawing it out the actual shape, like the, the yeah. There were certain the arrow games or the asteroid. Certain games did that. I mean, not like your Donkey Kongs or anything, but like, let me see what else comes up when you yeah. Asteroids is kind of the quintessential. Uh, yeah, Tempest. Which others of these have I heard of? Yeah, Vector Monitor in 1979. It's just the lines look way crisper and brighter. So, so basically, that's what NASA have done, and it's uh, and the sure. Italian space agency. <laughs> <laughs> also, the weird part was they they shipped a dog with it to see how stressed out it got. <laughs> Very stressed, as it turns out. Yeah, yeah. There were dogs in the control room. There were dogs on the asteroid. There were dogs everywhere. It was a weird, weird experience. It was weird. Also, oh, so now we're not allowed to fire dogs at asteroids now because of. <laughs> Because of the Wokarati. The Wokarati. The Wokarati is perfect. Yeah. That sounds like extremely respectful karate. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, We should... By the way, covering... In in space camp, I was in mission control, so I do feel like... These are my brothers and sisters. Yeah, right? done this exact I feel like same this job. is. Ba- I mean, we should thank you. This was basically. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah thank the, you for your the, service. Yeah, the part you had in this. The simulator was essentially an Atari game, though. To be clear, it was. I think it was run on floppy. It was a long time ago. Wow. I think you're younger than I am because there wasn't even a simulator. I mean, we were in like a, um, you know, the the, the cockpit. That's because you went to Alabama That's space right. camp. It's a little. You might be at the Alabama space camp. If your cockpit you gotta go to Florida have... space camp where they have Atari level graphics. There was no computer graphics. There was no video game aspect. It was purely like going through binders of. It was learning how to follow procedures, and that part of it was actually very unfun. But I'm, I'm guessing the most realistic to being an astronaut part of the experience. Yeah, yeah. Good laminated binder pages is fun. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know what? I'm going to throw in, uh, look in the show notes, guys, if you want to see a little article about why vector graphics once ruled arcade games. Now, uh, Harrison, for our listeners, uh, who are a very lovely group of people, of course, where can they find you? We know you're in Vegas right now, but uh, social media, how to come see you live, where can they find you? Yeah, they can follow me at Harrison Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. HarrisonGreenbaum.com is my website. And Mad Apple uh, is every Friday through Tuesday, twice a night, 7 and 9.30 at New York, New York uh, Casino. 
Uh, tickets are available. Uh, go to CircusLA.com or uh, MadAppleLV.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you come out there. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we're going to do an extra cool. story for the Patreon patrons, but for the main episode, people, uh, thank you for joining us. You can find us, as always, probablyscience.com. That's where we put all the links to the stories we cover. It's also where our Patreon and PayPal uh, donation buttons are. Thank you, everyone who helps on that front. Uh, at Probably Science's our Twitter account, at uh, Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case, and at Matt Kirshen are our independent ones, our individual ones. And Probably Science at gmail.com is our link for questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like to hear us talk about on the show. But Harrison, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.